There are so many different ways Jesus has expressed his love to us. One of the ways is by giving us the gift of his word, the Holy Scripture. And I think sometimes we, we're so familiar with it, we forget how precious a gift this really is. So uh, let me begin by asking you, how often, I don't want anybody to raise their hands because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Some of you know or will have really strong answers, others maybe not as strong, but let me just ask you, how often do you read God's Word? How consistent are you when it comes to reading the Word of God? And a follow-up question is if you do read it, when you read it, what is your plan? What is your approach? How do you go about reading the Word of God? How do you, just, how do you decide which passage you're going to read in any particular day? There are a lot of uh, surveys done every year in America about religion and Scripture and what people believe. And uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but about almost 9 out of 10 homes, 87, 88% of the homes in America have at least one copy of the Bible in it. So think about that. With all that's going on in our country and our culture, almost 9 out of 10 homes have at least one copy of this book, God's Word, in their house. In fact, how many Bibles do you think the average American home has? What's your guess? Y'all been reading the research? It's three. The av- listen, listen to that. The average American home has three Bibles. Now, that's probably skewed a little bit because some of us have a lot more than three, don't we? But the average home has three copies of Scripture. And something else that the surveys tell us is that most people, when asked, say they want to read the Bible more than they do. Most people would say they want some help in understanding it. But in contradiction to that, people are reading it less than they used to. And fewer people are reading it on any kind of consistent basis than used to. So we have copies of it. We want to read it. Many of us know we should read it, but the reality is most of us are reading it less and less consistently than we used to. It's kind of like exercise. We all know we're supposed to, but most of us don't, right? And you have those individuals who are very disciplined that get up early and go to the gym, or as soon as they're off work, they go to the gym. But that's a minority of people. Most people would say, yeah, I know I need to eat better, I need to walk, I need to jog, I need to swim, I need to go to the gym, I need to exercise and take care of myself. Most people say, yeah, I need to do that, I need to lose weight, get in better shape, but we don't do it. And I think spiritual disciplines are like that. Even for many of us who are disciples and followers of Jesus, we know we're supposed to read this, but we're really inconsistent when it comes to reading the Word of God. And so today I want to help us think about that that subject matter and why reading scripture consistently is so important and the last part of the message the second half of the message just give you some very practical suggestions okay some do's and don'ts some preferences some suggestions on how to read the word of God but if you have your bible turn with me to the gospel of Luke chapter 24 the very last chapter in Luke's gospel just before John's gospel because there's a story 
that uh, I think illustrates both the importance of us understanding the Word of God and some insights into how to go about reading Scripture and studying it, okay? So Luke 24, this is an experience that took place following Jesus' resurrection. So it's that, it's that Sunday afternoon and the tomb is empty and the women and some of the disciples had gone and saw that it was empty. And, and after that, many of them dispersed because they had come to Jerusalem for the holiday and the holiday was over and now they were returning home. And so in Luke 24, starting at verse 13, behold, two of them, two of these disciples or followers of Jesus who had been in Jerusalem. This is on a Sunday afternoon of the, of the resurrection. Uh, they, were, they were, that very day, they were going home. They were going to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they were going in verse 14, they were talking about all of the events that had transpired. And while they were talking in verse 15, here comes this other man approaching them. He's, he's walking and he, and he joins them and it's Jesus, but they don't recognize him. Now remember, Jesus is in his resurrected body and the Old and New Testaments teach that, that in the next realm, whether it's angels or our resurrected body, the only way we see anything in the next realm is for God to open our eyes to see it. So there could be an angel standing here beside me and we not see it, not because he's invisible, but because God hasn't opened our eyes to see into that realm. And so God can do things different ways. And so here's Jesus walking with him, and they see him, but they don't see him. They see a man, but they don't know it's him because their eyes are not open to recognize him. The Bible talks about us entertaining angels unaware. Does it strike you as odd that God can do that? Okay. So that's what's going on. And so Jesus begins walking with these two, and uh, he says, what are you talking about in verse 17? One of them, Clippus, in verse 18 and following, he says, are you the only person who came to Jerusalem, who visited Jerusalem for this festival, for this holiday, that doesn't know what's happened? What, what happened with this prophet, this man named Jesus that we were hoping was the promised Messiah, but our religious leaders handed him over to the Romans and he was executed. But now it's the third day since he died at the end of verse 21. And in verse 22, we're amazed because some of the women went to the tomb and they didn't see the body. It was empty and they, they saw a vision of these angels saying he was resurrected. And then some of his followers, you know, Peter and John, ran to the tomb and they found it just like the women said it was. It was empty, but they didn't see Jesus or whatever. And, and uh, uh, we don't get it. And in verse 25... Jesus said something to them. Now, they still don't know it's Jesus, okay? So remember, what we're getting ready to read, Jesus does before they know who he is. Keep that in mind. To them, he's just another man. So in verse 25, he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, the Old Testament prophets. Was it not necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So they're walking, and as they walk toward the village of Emmaus, Jesus, 
And these two men have a conversation as he answers their questions and helps them understand all that the Scripture had said about the Messiah and his suffering and his glory, his resurrection. And when they finish the conversation, they are finally in Emmaus, their home. Jesus acts like he's going to keep walking. They invite him to stay. And as he reclines to eat dinner with them, in verse 31, their eyes were open and they recognized him. Only then did they know who they had been talking to the whole time. And he disappeared. He vanished from their sight. Then in verse 32, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Now, wouldn't it be neat if you and I could take a walk with Jesus, if we could sit in our home at the kitchen table with our Bible open, if we could go to a class and Jesus was the teacher, wouldn't it be neat if we could have this kind of interaction with Jesus and him explain all this stuff to us, answer all of our questions? Wouldn't that be neat? And, and you know, and, and, and we can sing about just have a little talk with Jesus, but I don't know about you, but I've never had an experience like these two men on the Emmaus Road had. Have you? It's not how it works for us. Jesus is in glory. Yeah, he's here spiritually, lives within us, he's everywhere. But I'm not tangibly, physically walking side by side with Jesus, having a conversation, asking, and he and he verbally explained. Not my experience, not your experience, not quite how it works. But now, we're not left to our own devices either. Because we do have the Scripture. In fact, we have more than these two men had. All they had was the Old Testament scrolls, and they did not have their own copies because the printing press had not been invented, wouldn't be for another 1,400 years. So all they had was oral tradition, the oral teaching that they had to remember. We have it in print. Average three copies in every home. We have a major advantage. And not only that, we have the New Testament. We have the disciples telling us, all that Jesus said, all that Jesus explained in the Gospels. We have what the Holy Spirit allowed Paul and Peter and John to write. So we have so much more than they had. We have this. You know what else we have? We have each other. We have other believers. These two men had each other and they were discussing it. And then there was a third person beside them and they were discussing it. And by the way, do you know that one of the reasons you need to be involved in biblical conversations, spiritual conversations with other believers is to encourage you, is to help you understand, is to correct you from thinking something not quite accurate. There's accountability in that. We have each other, we have the church, and we have the Holy Spirit who came at Pentecost to stay, and he's with us. And if you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you, and we have him to help us understand and to 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 guide us in John chapter 14, verse 26, the Lord said this. Look at this verse on the screen. Next slide, guys. Here we go. He said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is speaking to his 12 disciples when he says this, but the Holy Spirit, when, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. People wonder, how did the gospel writers remember what Jesus said? There's the answer. Plus, their cultural tradition, the norm for them was to remember things because that's how they learned everything, through oral teaching, oral recitation of stories. 
So it wasn't unusual for them. We're visual. You know, we sit and we, we stare at stuff. They listened and told stuff. Plus, they had the Holy Spirit helping them. And by the way, we have the Holy Spirit helping us. So one last passage I want you to turn to. I want to spend some time here breaking this down a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 10 and 16. Now, I know you see it on the screen, and that's good. But also, if you have your Bible, I want you to open your Bible. And in a few minutes, when I get to some suggestions for the better ways to do Bible study, you're going to understand why I'm asking you to open your Bible and not just stare at the screen, which is easier. Open your Bible. You'll understand why in a few moments. And follow with me. It's on the screen in case you don't have a Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, if your translation is different than mine, which for some of you it is, mine's New American Standard, you can see on the screen what mine says and compare it to what you have if you have the King James or the NIV or one of the other translations. So let's walk through these verses and help us understand how this works a little bit, and then we'll get into some practical suggestions for Bible reading. Okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, For to us God revealed them. What? the truth of God, the teachings of God, the Word of God, if you read the previous verses, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit teaches all things, even the depths of God. The Holy Spirit works to help us understand the things of God. All right? Basic basic teaching. And remember, the Bible says in the book of Romans, if you do not have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to God. You're not His. So every believer, every, every disciple, every follower has the Holy Spirit living within him or her. And He helps us understand the things of God. We're not on our own. And by the way, that word helper in John is the word paraclete. It's the word for somebody, it's, it's the word for walking alongside strengthening, aiding, assisting, helping. What did Jesus do with those two guys on the Emmaus Road? He walked with them. What is the very name Jesus used for the Holy Spirit? The paraclete, the one who comes alongside, who walks beside us. Here he's our helper. You get the picture? Do you get the picture? Give me a nod. You get the picture? All right. Verse 11. He says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? I mean, I look out here at you and I see you and I I can guess what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, man, this is a great sermon. Some of you are thinking, man, what time's lunch? I don't know what you're thinking. You know, you know the truth? The only person other than God who really knows what you're thinking is you. Your spirit knows you deep on the inside. That's what he's saying here. Even so, at the end of verse 11, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Makes sense, right? The only one who knows everything deep within God is God, the Spirit of God. Same way. Verse 12, now, now, we have received, it's been given to us and we've received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, we have received, he lives within us, okay, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. You will discover that the Holy Spirit 
works in conjunction with the Word of God and the people of God to help us understand the thoughts of God. Verse 13, which things we also speak. Paul talking about the things that we preach and teach. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by whom? The Spirit combining, notice this, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. The, 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 the truth of God, spiritual thoughts, communicated. All right, next verse, verse 14. But a natural man, what is a natural man? A lost man, somebody who's not filled with the Spirit of God, somebody who doesn't belong to God, somebody who's still in, their, in the flesh, so to speak, somebody who is still sin, in their sin and not forgiven and doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. It doesn't mean he can't comprehend them. He doesn't accept them. You know, there are people in this world who don't follow Jesus, and they know exactly what we teach about Jesus. They just don't accept it, right? Their foolishness to him. I'm not going to believe that I have to be forgiven. I'm not going to believe I have to repent. I'm not going to believe that Jesus died on the cross was the only way for me to be saved. I'm not going to believe that if I don't trust Jesus, I'm not. It's foolishness to some people. It says at the end of verse 14, they are spiritually appraised. Now, it's interesting, that word appraised, that Greek word in the original New Testament is the idea of uh, evaluating and assigning value or worth. It's like, any of you ever had your home appraised? So somebody investigates, they look at your home, they compare it to other homes, and they assign a value to it, right? That's what this word means, is that, that everything we hear out there, we appraise, we, we assign a worth to it. How valuable is it? How good is it? How bad is it? What worth is it? And so what he's saying is the things of God are like that as well. They're spiritually appraised. And, and the natural man appraises them, values them, looks at them and says, nah, not worth it. But the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us as the children of God helps us look at things a little differently. We appraise it differently. We say it's worth more. We say it's valuable because he helps us understand that. He helps us see that. So verse 15 he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. We, we evaluate everything in light of the truth of God. <laughs> and the world may not evaluate us as, as being worth much because we believe what they think is an outdated whatever and so on. Don't worry about it. Because they don't appraise the things of God accurately. Why are you worried about them appraising you accurately? They don't value the things of God accurately. Why are you worried about whether or not they value you accurately? They, they just one goes with the other. Verse 16, and here's the kicker. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Well, the Holy Spirit, right? We have, at the end of verse 15, verse 16, what? We have what? Why? Because we're smart? No. We're no smarter than other people in this world. If you think you're smarter than other people in this world, you need to have a little bit more humility and repent of that arrogance. We're not smarter than the average person in this world. 
But because we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we evaluate things differently. We value things differently. And that's Him helping us do that. And that's what happens with the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will help us remember and understand the things of Christ, help us understand Scripture. We're not on our own. We have the mind of Christ because of the Holy Spirit. That's that's our capacity. Now listen to me. Each and every time any of us say, I can't read the Word of God, I can't understand the Word of God, I can't study the Word of God, and therefore we don't try, we are insulting the very Holy Spirit who lives within us that says, if you will work with me and you'll be disciplined and consistent, I can teach you. Now you may never reach the level of some others, but you don't have to stay at the level you are today. You can move beyond where you are today. And isn't that the good news? I don't have to stay put. I I can take steps. I can make some progress. Isn't that the good news? Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Just allow the Holy Spirit to take the Word of God with the people of God and work in your heart and your life to help you move forward. Don't just stay still. Move forward. Make some progress. Now, let me wrap this up for the next uh, several minutes and give you some tips on Scripture reading. And I want to begin by by, uh, just reminding you that a disciple, remember that circle, okay? A disciple is somebody who is following Jesus, somebody who is being transformed or changed by Jesus and is on mission with Jesus. Well, you see, as as you interact with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we follow, remember a rabbi had his disciples and they followed and there was interaction, sort of like Jesus and those two guys on the Emmaus Road. Well, for, for us, it's, it's us walking in the Holy Spirit with the Word of God as the people of God. And as we do that, we follow Jesus. <clears throat> and as the Holy Spirit works and we interact with the Word of God, we're changed, we're transformed. And, and the next thing you know, we're on mission with Jesus, serving Him, evangelizing for Him, loving people for Him, and uh, making a difference in, in, in this world. But, but to do that, you have to interact with him. And one of the ways you interact with him is by interacting with the Word of God. If you don't ever interact with the Word of God, you're not interacting with Jesus on a consistent basis. That's his word. That's his method. That's what he's given us. Uh, recently, I finished reading uh, the uh, autobiography that Elizabeth uh, Hasselbeck wrote. Some of you remember her. She's married to the NFL, former NFL quarterback and uh, was on... I think the second season of Survivor before she ever got married and was on The View. She was the conservative on The View for a number of years, uh, over a decade ago. And then, then she was on Fox and Friends in the morning, that, that early show that was, what, what, 6 to 9 a.m., I think. And, and when she was on The View, I think she, she stopped that, I don't know, three or four years ago. But anyway... Uh, when she was on when she, when she was on Fox and Friends, had to be there. Work started. I mean, the broadcast started at six o'clock, so she had to get up at two thirty every morning. Okay, and she's a young mom with young kids, and she's a wife. Had to get up at two thirty every morning. And problem, she's she's like some of us. She, she's a nine owl, and her husband had to tell her it's time to let you know let the day die, go to bed. You know, day get, give it up, go to bed. You got to got to get up at two thirty. But she had a discipline. When she would stumble out of bed at 2.30 in the morning, 
you know, all these news feed that, that the team had been up all night getting ready so they could talk about the latest events in the world on that show at 6 o'clock in the morning. We were there for her to read. But she had this discipline before she read any of that. She would take her Bible. She would take her Bible and read it. And then she had a particular devotional she liked to read in addition to that because she said she had to fill herself up with the good news before she dealt with the world's news. Now, here's the problem. Most of us fill up on the world's news, and if we have any time left, we get around to tasting a little bit of God's news. And that's backwards because we're followers of Christ. And if you say you don't have time, brothers and sisters, you've got the priorities wrong, and you need to say no to some of the other things that you're spending all your time feasting on that, that, that squeezes out any time to feast on the Word of God. You need to eat the good stuff before you eat the bad stuff. Now, here's some less productive ways to, to, to read the Bible approaches. Now, it doesn't mean these are bad, that, you, that God doesn't use them, that you won't get anything good out of them. They are okay. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying they're not the best. They're good. They're okay. But there are better approaches. That's all I'm saying, all right? So here's some of these less effective approaches, what uh, some might call the, the Xanax approach, you know, you're worried about something, so you take a pill. You're afraid of something, so you take a pill. You have an emotional issue, so you take a pill. And uh, so I, I'm dealing with worry, so let me find all the verses in the Bible that talk about worry. I'm afraid, so let me find all the Bible verses that talk about fear. Nothing wrong with that. God can use that, and sometimes that's what you need. But I'm saying if that is your primary approach to Bible reading, it's not the best approach because you're not moving your focus onto the bigger picture of what God wants to do in your life. Another approach that's, that's not the best is, is what some people call the pinball approach. Any of y'all remember the old pinball machines? Hmm? That ball would bounce everywhere. Were any of you really good at shaking the machine to try to get it to go where you want it? You remember, those, you remember that? All right. Well, that's how some of us approach the Bible. We just bounce around, ricochet from here to there. Hey, it fell open to Psalm 78, so I'm going to read 78. And tomorrow I opened it. It's on Leviticus 26. I don't like Leviticus 26. I flipped it. Oh, it's on 1 Chronicles 16. I'm going to read that today. And we just bounce around, ricochet around. We, we just, you know, we, we flip through it and wherever. You know, that looks interesting. I'll read that today. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not the better way. It's not the most productive way to read Scripture. Another one is the Magic 8-Ball. You remember that Magic 8-Ball, that little round black? Black ball looked like a like a pool ball, you know, eight ball, you know, and it had that one little circle, and you, we all shook it, but you didn't have to, you just had to turn it, but we all shook it anyway, right? And you all, and, and, and you always ask a question. It's gonna be funny in the next service, see if any of them know what a magic eight ball is. But anyway, uh, so you'd ask a yes no type question, right? It had 20-some answers it could give you, but, they, but all of those answers fell into three categories, different ways of saying three things, some, some version of saying no, some version of saying yes, some version of saying not sure, really brilliant ball. <laughs> and and, and, and we do that, right? And so some of us, thought, you know, here's our approach to, 
to, to reading the Bible, we have a question. So let me find a Bible verse that talks about that. Well, I've got another question. Let me find a Bible verse that talks about that. I've got an issue. Let me find another Bible verse that talks about that. And, and, and that's okay, but it's not the better way because usually that here's what happens. That approach, we don't read anything in context. And when you don't read things in context, you can take it out of context and get a wrong answer even though you think you're getting the right answer. Another approach is what I call fad diet approach. You eat this and you don't eat that. Now, I like meat, okay? So several years ago, several years ago, I thought I'm going to try that Atkins diet where you don't eat anything but meat. Man, after about four days, I was so sick of meat. And I didn't think I could ever get sick of meat. But that, you know, there's all these fad diets, right? And um, when it comes to uh, Bible reading, you know, I've, I've got my favorite parts. And so I read the Psalms all the time, but that's about all I read. Or maybe I love the Gospels and I read the Gospels all the time, but that's about all I read. And I don't get the full counsel of God. Nothing wrong with that, but it's not the best approach. Now, Real quick, jot these down. Here's some suggestions for Bible reading that's more effective. All right, you ready? Number one, read it prayerfully. Never read the Scripture without praying first and saying, God, speak to me today. As I read your word, teach me, convict me, encourage me, help me, show me what you want to show me, not just what I'm looking for. Read it prayerfully. Number two, read it meditatively. Meditate on it. What does meditate on it? It means you read and you think, hmm, what does that mean? How does that apply to me? That word, what's the implications of that word? What's the implications of that word or that verse for what I'm, for how I live, for how I think, for some decisions I'm facing? You meditate on it. You reflect on it. Number three, you read it slowly, unhurried, quiet time. Not like, you know, a busy morning at the house and everybody's trying to rush to get ready now and right, see you, bye, love you, bye, rush out. No, you, you, you can't do that with God. Well, you can, but it's not the better approach. You need some unhurried, quiet time. So you need to make appointments with God on your calendar slowly. Number three, number four, whatever it is, systematically. Systematically, what does that mean? You don't pinball. You don't ricochet. In our D groups, we're reading the New Testament. We started with Luke, then we read Acts. We're reading it systematically, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I promise you, if you read it systematically, you will see more in the truth of God than you will if you don't read it systematically because you will be in context. And you'll see themes developing. And you'll see how what is said in chapter 3 related to what was said in chapter 1 or chapter 2 and what is said in chapter 3 might relate to what's coming up in chapter 4 or chapter 5. Systematically, absolutely head and shoulders above any other approach to Bible reading. Systematically. Next, consistently. Consistently. Daily. Now all of us miss a day or two. I miss a day or two every now and then. All of us will miss a day every now and then. Read it consistently, not once a week. Read it consistently. Now, and use a paper version instead of an electronic version. 
Let me, let me share with you what the research is. There's nothing wrong with electronic versions. I sometimes read Scripture on my iPhone. I'm not saying don't do that. But here's what the research shows us. There's a, there's a, there's a plus and a minus, okay? The benefit of having electronic copies of Scripture, whether it's on your smartphone or your tablet or your laptop or whatever, the advantage is for men. There is no advantage for women in the research, but for men, the advantage is that men tend to read it more if they have an electronic copy. Now, I could go into some details about why that is, but it's just the ease of access. So at least men, if, 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 if you're not much of a reader, but, but you'll at least read it some because you have an electronic copy and it's easy to get to, great. That's better than not doing it. That's the advantage. More men actually read because of that. doesn't have any effect on the degree to which women read. Now, these are generalizations, okay? But here, here's the disadvantage according to research. We don't get as much out of it when we read it electronically as we do when we read it on paper. The reason? There's a different level of interaction. There's a different type of interaction when you're reading it in paper. So like if I open mine up to uh, wherever, and because consistent reading, I've got all these different verses highlighted and marked, and all of a sudden you start seeing more, whereas electronic electronically it's hard to, to, to look back up quickly what came before or what came afterwards. So you interact more when you read it this way than when you read it electronically. So I want to encourage you in your quiet time. Now, if you don't have a paper copy, read it electronically. It's not a sin. I do it. It's not a sin. I'm just saying what's better for you spiritually. Here's another one. Use a journal. Now, I know some of you hate to write and hate to journal, so I don't care. Just get a, get a piece of paper and write one sentence. Don't write a book. You read the Scripture... Write one sentence, God spoke to me in verse 10. If that's all you can do, do that because it helps you to focus and zero in on what God is saying. It helps you to say, this is what God's saying to me today. And that makes a difference in your interaction with the Word of God in your development, your growth. And then respond to what God said. So if you wrote, God spoke to me in verse 10 and said this, your response is, okay, God, I'm going to do this. Or it could be a prayer, God, thank you for that. Or God, help me with this. But when God speaks, always respond so that it becomes a dialogue between you and God, a conversation between you and God. Jesus and those two men on the Emmaus Road had a conversation. You need to have a conversation. Interacting with Scripture and responding is a way to do that. And then here's the last one, is discuss it with other believers. When we have our D group gatherings, we discuss what God said to us in the five chapters we read that week. Now here's the benefit of that. I get to hear some things that bless my heart that I didn't see when I was reading the Scripture, but God spoke to one of my other brothers. And sometimes that's pretty incredible what God said to them that I just missed. Really incredible, and I learned more. Secondly, it's also an opportunity for us to correct something if we get it wrong. And sometimes that happens, right? There's also a very kind and loving accountability and encouraging accountability because here's what happens. If five of us are going to meet every week, there just develops this innate accountability. You know, I don't want to let my brothers down. 
So I want to be ready. And we know from research that people who have some level of positive accountability when it comes to spiritual disciplines practice those disciplines significantly more than people who have no accountability. That's what I'm saying. So what, what, what am I asking you to do? Well, do something. Do something. Interact with the Word of God. Get into it so you can grow as a disciple. Come to the D group training next Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, last two hours. Learn about this process because it's the most in-depth process we, we have in our church for interacting with Scripture consistently in the way I'm talking about. And you can register by texting D group to that number or signing up on your Connect card and putting the offering plate in a moment. What else am I asking you to do? What if you, don't, if you, if you can't do that or don't want to do that? Uh, start somewhere... Do you know that the average average American, the average person spends two hours, well, actually it's about two and a half hours a day on social media of some, some type? And that's separate from how much we watch TV. We don't have time to read Scripture? You kidding me? Why don't you just try to cut out 15 minutes from your social media use and give it to God and read Scripture instead? Just 15 minutes. Start there. Use the two-week Bible reading plan we passed out last week. If you didn't do it last week, you can start this week. It's in the chair pouch in front of you based on Psalm 119. And uh, read some, some, uh, some scripture each day. Or pick a gospel, maybe the gospel of Mark, and start at chapter 1 and read one chapter a day. And just do that until you, you, know, until you, until you do the whole, the whole gospel of Mark and then pick another one. Just start somewhere. So let's stand. And uh, as we sing and make our way to the altar to make decisions, you respond. All right, God, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the action step I'm going to take so that I can grow as a disciple because I, I don't want to stay put. Here's what I'm going to do so I can more consistently interact with your word. Brother Jamie's here, I'm here. You can come and make a decision, pray at the altar, join our church, whatever God is putting on your heart. Let's sing together.